Welcome back, everybody. The Shooter's Touch is back this week with another great guest, head boys basketball coach at Wapsie Valley High School, Marty McCowan. I've known Marty for quite some time while I played basketball with his son, uh, Brooks, a former guest in high school on our AAU team against Brooks as well, and then eventually at UNI when we both went to UNI to play there. He has been coaching for just over 37 years, has 596 total wins, and that 596th win just happened to be a state championship this last season. His team came into into the state the eighth seed with, I believe, an 18-7 and seven record. Probably a lot of people counted him out. They upsetted their way to the state finals, and then during that state finals game was when COVID started to hit, and we talk a lot about the family atmosphere at Wapsie Valley and the Wapsie Valley community. But his, when we talk to him about that week, about that game, he definitely brings to the table what that exactly means with that 100 fan, 100 fan maximum that they were allowing in that game. As I mentioned, Marty has been a great friend for a long time. I was very happy and excited about recording this episode. And after we did record it, I was even more excited because I knew that all of our listeners could see exactly what I know about Marty here for the long, longest time. His absolute passion for the game of basketball, his incredible knowledge for the game of basketball is is on showcase in this episode and I hope you guys enjoyed as much as myself and Brian did. Here he is, head coach Marty McCowan. Well shooters, as mentioned, we bring in the head basketball coach of Wapsie Valley High School, a coach with 596 wins, 2019-2020 All-Iowa Boys Basketball Coach of the Year and state champion head coach Marty McCowan. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. And I've listened to multiple podcasts of yours, and it's a great thing you guys are doing. I really enjoy it. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, and we um, – as mentioned, we appreciate your time, and you know we we ask a lot of the people who we interview on our podcast who we should have on, and your names come up a couple times, so we thought we'd have to, so we thought we had to bring you on, I guess, you know. <laughs> yeah, my my uh, the new AD at Wapsy was um, I saw put something on Twitter about it, and so I called him and said, "Hey, I'm going to be on." He was all excited about it. <laughs> well, awesome, awesome. Yes, we are very excited for sure. That's why we're that's what we're here to do. We're trying to promote you guys and obviously good coaches within the state. And so you definitely fall on that list. And uh, yeah, like Adam said, we're excited to have you. And with that, uh, let's jump right in. We always got to turn back the hands of time and go way back and and, and learn a little bit more about the beginning. So uh, what was the childhood like for you? Um, where did the love and passion for sports and maybe more specifically the game of basketball um, really start to get instilled in your life? And uh, ultimately, where was home and where'd you grow up? Um, started in, um, believe it or not, Indiana um, years and years ago, um, and um, our family moved from um, the South Bend, Goshen area in Indiana um, when I was in sixth grade to Iowa, to Washington, Iowa, which is where I graduated from um, high school at. Um, it's a kind of a strange journey where I've gone to end up um, in the coaching of, of basketball because I arguably may be the worst um, basketball player slash coach ever. Um, the kids uh, still today will watch me shoot a basketball and just shake their heads and like, what is that? Um, I, I played um, college um, baseball and college football um, and ended up hooking the job at Wapsie Valley. Um, and um, I think I appreciated um, the coaching on the side of it because of my lack of ability. And again, you watch kids do what they did. Um, I, I've coached multiple sports here and, and um, basketball I just fell in love with right away. So what, uh, so baseball, you said baseball and football, where at? What college did you go? Upper Iowa, where Brooks is at now. It's a full circle effect. Um, Yeah, so it it was um, very, very good. Um, Upper Iowa was the um, only school that that was going to allow me to do two sports. I was recruited by several other, and actually I offered to walk on at um, um, UNI to play football. Um, But I had the one place where I could actually play both sports I wanted to play. Um, And 
Um, ended up um, five years at Upper Iowa and um, came to Wapsie Valley straight from Upper Iowa in 1983. So Upper Iowa, they would have been in the Iowa Conference at that time, right? Were you guys in yeah. the Iowa Conference? Yep. Yeah. Th th therefore, I, I have a great hatred for Wartburg and um, <laughs> and BV and Luther and, and actually not a hatred, obviously, but um, those were our rivals. You know, and still today, you know, when I meet somebody that said I graduated from Wartburg, I'm always like, oh, and, and it's so funny that, um, you know, you, yeah, after all those years, you take, you know, 37 years later, and that name still pops up and your body just kind of cringes. <laughs> Well, so funny situation. Obviously, I'm a Warburg grad, so be careful with these words that you're yep. saying. But, uh, um, but my dad was a Luther grad, and so my dad played baseball and basketball at Luther. And so it's kind of funny on how the whole Iowa Conference and obviously getting dad in orange and black from blue all those years was was a little tough. But as you know, as a dad, it, it, it becomes pretty easy when it needs to be. But uh, it is funny on how those schools and just the, the story history that they have, not only together, but in the state of Iowa. And then obviously you come in full circle with Brooks there. That's a, that's a really neat story on, on way in that every, the dots always seem to connect. Yeah. Well, I, I remember when the job opened up um, and he applied for it, I was thinking to myself that this is really is going to be a cool thing if it actually happens. And, you know, to go back there now, and there's still people that are, are in town, obviously my baseball coach um, from college lives across the street from him. Uh, it, you know, so I get to see Coach wow. all the time and, you know, go back in and see all the people that, that I dealt with when I was there that are still there and supporting Upper Iowa. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, you know, that – I when hearing those kind of stories, um, it always – having people there for so long, it speaks to the college and it speaks to, you know, the – employment at that college really you know and so that's uh obviously you know knowing 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 him and having conversations with him all the time you know he he loves it there and obviously it's a great great spot to be yeah it definitely is and, and the thing I love most about what he's done he's made um recruiting side of it um a mainstay in Iowa um you know and, and when I was there it was unbelievable how many people that I played with were from New York and Florida. And, you know, the rarity was, to be honest with you, we didn't have a ton of Iowa people on our team at times. And, and all of a sudden, you know, when Brooks got there, having the only Division II in the state of Iowa, being able to recruit to that has been huge. And it's funny you mentioned that, you know, Upper Iowa let you let you play two sports. Um, you know, um, one of one of his players right now, Hilmer, is playing two sports. And, you know, from talking to people about him and, you know, listening to his podcast on our friends at the Moonlight Graham show, um, you know, one of the one of the big reasons he went to Upper Iowa was because, you know, he could play basketball and baseball there as well. So that's kind of a cool story as well. Yeah, he had the opportunity to go to, you know, multiple places, one sport only, though, and Upper Iowa made that commitment to let him do both. And, yeah, his, his story is pretty unbelievable. And just watching what he can do as an athlete in, in both sports, you know, it, it is unbelievable. And a great family. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, um, well, let's let's um, let's maybe dive into coaching here uh, on that front. When did you When did you know or realize that coaching was going to be where you wanted to be? Um, actually, my ninth grade year, um, I remember um, getting into a math class in ninth grade, um, and math came very, very easy to me, and I was deciding as a ninth grader that I wanted to be a math teacher, and I was going to coach, and at that point, I believed I'd be a baseball or football coach. You know, those are the things that I'd love to do, and um, I ended up, you know, obviously in the basketball realm, but yeah, so my ninth grade year on, I knew um, I was going to be a um, that's what I wanted to do is get in the coaching profession. And back in those days, the only way you could coach was to teach. I mean, there were, there was no, you know, like the outside people coming in now, which I think is awesome. But in those days you had to have a teaching degree to be able to coach and math was my best subject. So that's the reason I went that way. Huh. And now, so you mentioned, you mentioned baseball or football. Have you ever coached baseball or football or has it always just been basketball? <clears throat> Um, I um, did multiple sports. So this is um, kind of wild. I did um, volleyball. I started the volleyball program at, at Wapsie, first volleyball coach ever. Um, when we got to be really good, uh, that was my last year because I walked off the volleyball court. I think we got beat in the district final sub-state game. And I turned around, and um, the next Monday started basketball practice. And I was like, whoa, 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 no, this is, <laughs> this is not good. Um, girls track, um, I, 25 years. 
um, and actually won uh, more conference titles in girls track than basketball. So, <laughs> um, and coached baseball when I first got here. Um, and that was probably my toughest one to coach because of the fact that, like I said before, I, you know, that's something I thought everybody should be able to do. You hit a cutoff. You should do this, this, and this because it came so natural to me. Um, and then also coached um, cross country. So I've done a, um, a lot of different sports here. And, and one of the cool things is enjoyed it. Um, you know, and, and the great thing about a smaller school is that you can get that diversity and do those things. And um, it, it's been a great time. But, yeah, basketball, um, my true love, to say the least. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so, so I've read a couple articles here, Marty. Um, you had, you had a five-year plan coming into Wapsie that it, that it would just be a stepping stone to, you know, some people call it bigger and better things. Um, what changed in those five years and what's, what's kept you at, kept you at Wapsie Valley so long? Yeah, you're exactly right. It was a five-year plan. Um, I remember when uh, Martha and I got here, um, and, um, John was already born, um, was, was a, was a college kid. <laughs> um, and, um, when we got here, we didn't even buy, you know, never looked at buying a house, uh, you know, cause we had said, I told her, you know, I'm going to submit five years in a small school and then we'll go bigger and better. Um, and I'll be very honest with you. I've never found anything that's better. Um, you know, our, 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 our theme this year was, um, we are family. Um, and it, it was actually um, promoted by one of my players, um, came up with that um, theme for the year. And <clears throat> once we started thinking about it, um, that's what's cool about Wapsie Valley. It is a family, you know, and it's a huge family affair here. And, and the ability to get to know kids um, because of the small school atmosphere, um, I, I just never found anything better. I interviewed multiple times over my career at different places, offered multiple jobs and um, never found one that I thought would be a better fit than this. And, you know, it's, you know, you get comfortable, um, but you also, um, you know, get to know so many people in the community. And to be honest with you, John um, ended up, um, oldest son, John, um, ended up with a best friend, um, which is something that kept us here also because they lived, you know, a couple blocks down for us. And we talked about a couple of times moving. And I could have um, think about, you know, taking him away from that, that best friend of his. And that's one of the things that kept us here. And then, you know, with the rest of the kids getting involved in everything and <clears throat> just became um, something that was, um, you know, a place I wanted to stay. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Um, all right. So <laughs> have 596 wins coaching a long time. How does your, does your philosophy change with your team strengths or are there certain aspects of your philosophy that are always there? How does that work in your head when you're evaluating your team for the upcoming season? Uh, that's a great question because I, I believe that's one of the really, really um, cool slash tough things about coaching um, high school basketball and especially in a smaller community, um, you know, that you have to change your system. That's my belief. Now you'll talk to some coaches, um, you know, I, I know some guys have been in it for as long as I have, and they're going to um, run man-to-man -man defense every year. They're going to do this, this, and they've been very successful. You know, Osborne out at Harlan um, runs basically the same practice every single day. Um, I, you know, when I found that out, I just, like, shook my head, you know, but and think about how successful he's been, you know. And um, for us, um, it, it's a, a constant thing where we're changing our philosophy of what we're doing. Um, it could be man defense. It could be zone defense. It could be press. It could be half court. Um, and um, because of the difference in talent, you know, some years, like um, last year, we've got a 6'6 kid, um, you know, that now all of a sudden we're going to go back to our four out stuff that we've done before. Um, you know, some years we've had um, um, teams that have had two post players, um, you know, and so now we go high, low stuff. Then other years we're running five out. So I think it's got to change all the time. Um, one of the best ways of, of putting it, um, and this has been about 20 years ago, I think, and I was trying to look it up and I couldn't find it for sure. At Christmas time, um, about 20, 22 years ago, we were the eighth leading scoring team in the nation. Um, we were averaging 95-5 at Christmas, okay? Uh, we ended up getting beat in, in the sub-state game that year, like 87 to 81. And the, I remember the reporter asking me, oh, it, was it your defense? I said, no, it was my offense. I said, well, our offense. I mean, we, we had scored over 100 like seven times that year. It was an offensive disaster. And he just looked at me and I walked away from him. Um, <laughs> um, but um, and then five years later, we won a sub-state game 42 to 39. 
Um, and, and, and so, um, and, and I came to the realization early in my career that we were going to have to change philosophies. And it's, it's a great question. And, and it's tough to do. Um, you know, if, if, if I had my, my, my dream team every year, it would be the team that scored, you know, the 107 times, eight times that year. Because how much fun is that? This is the sideline and watch that. And Adam, you know, you've, you've played against some of my teams that are that way. And, um, but in the same sense, we take great pride um, in, in winning 42 to 39 in the sub-state game, you know, and, and changing it. And, and, and so it, it is a difference of philosophy from year to year. Well, that's one of the things that's so unique about the high school level and as you move down in levels as well that, uh, you know, it isn't something that we're at college where you're recruiting to your system and you're going out and getting the guys that fit your system and maybe you, you, you adjust depending on what kids you get on campus. In high school, you take what you got and you just got to run with it. And so I think the level of coaching, um, yeah, maybe the pay is not compared to what these guys on TV are getting, but the level of coaching and adjustments that you have to make at that level um, make it not only fun because it's yours and, and it's creative thinking, but uh, makes this a, a, a unique career and uh, to attest to your, what, 596 wins and um, what I got, seven state appearances. So you've definitely been able to make, uh, make some adjustments over the years. Yeah, um, we we um, we have, and one of the things that we changed um, again. This is you know I'll keep going back decades, you know, a couple of de- several decades ago, was uh, we got it out of our mind that a conference championship um, was one of our goals. It's not one of our goals anymore. Um, our goal is that by the time we get to the end of the year, that we're the best basketball team that we can be. Um, you know, and you take this year, we were three and five. Um, at the beginning of the year this year, um, and we knew it was going to be a year of change, that we had to do philosophy things different and, and change some of the mindset. And we had young kids playing for us this year too, um, you know, and, and um, to be able to get that mindset, it's tough, you know, and it's one of the great things about every team getting into the tournament is that you don't have to have that early season pressure of saying, you know, it's so important that we win these early season games. I, I think it's important that you try to win them. Obviously, we don't go out and say, hey, we're going to throw this one. Um, but in the same sense, uh, we're willing to try different things, knowing that it might cost you a game or two early in the year. You know, talking about that, and let's focus in a little bit more on, on this team last year and obviously the run that you guys made. Like you mentioned, you struggled a little bit early, um, but the guys kept battling and kept fighting. Um, one of the, the, the other challenges in today's world in coaching is, is to get that buy-in from your players. Um, what are some of, the, some of the things that you were able to do to get these guys to understand that, you know, this is a long journey. Uh, the goal is to get to Des Moines, um, but you got to believe in the process and, and, and buy into everything that you guys are trying to, trying to instill. Well, one, one of the things um, that we realize every year going into the season is that we play um, arguably in one of the best um, – it's a 2A basketball league. There's maybe one or two 1As left in our league, and everybody else has moved to 2A. Some 3A stuff goes on every so often that going into the year, we know that we're, our competition level is great. Um, you know, and, and so what we do with our kids early in years, make them understand that you're going to travel to some great basketball schools, you know, and you, you think about some of the places that we have to go. And, and so it's a mindset that we try to teach our kids, number one, um, about being great teammates, you know, because during times when things are struggles and times, you got to be a great teammate to each other. And, and the buy-in we got this year with our kids was, like I said, um, um, phenomenal. Um, when they came up, you know, we had done for years, you know, put the hands in the middle, chant, we are Wapsie. And um, before one of the times um, early in the season this year, one of my players came up and said, hey, instead of we are Wapsie, can we, we say we are family? And I was like, yes. <laughs> you know, and uh, to, to have um, kids buying in like that. I mean, it is just unbelievable. So it wasn't a hard sell for um, us as coaches this year. Um, the kids buy-in early in the year was really, really big. And um, I mentioned it several times in interviews, um, watching our kids that weren't getting any playing time or much playing time on the bench and how excited they were about what was going on, um, that's when you know you got a team. Um, and I say it all the time, if you want to see what kind of buy-in your team has, watch the bench during the game. You know, and, and you'll see kids sometimes I watch – um, you know, I'm going to say my team in particular, but teams that I've seen on film, I'll watch and you'll see kids jabbing each other and talking to each other during the game, not bought in what's going on. And our kids were phenomenal all year. This year, buy-in was great. 
So you guys were 18 and seven uh, when you got down to Des Moines. Is that, does that sound right? 18 and seven, it came in as the eight seed. But was there a, was there a time or a win um, where you guys grinded and battled one mid, mid to late part of the season when you kind of started and talked with your staff and was like, hey, you know what? I, I think there's something special here with this team. Even, even if the record's not exactly what we want, um, I, think, I think we can put a run on this. I think probably our, our big telltale um, win, the first one we had, um, we um, beat Janesville. We, we run um, a couple shootouts at Upper Iowa each year where we have somewhere between um, six and eight games that we run consecutively at Upper Iowa, which gets you on to college floor, which we feel is important because a lot of sub-state games are on college floors. And if you make it to Des Moines, you're playing on the college floor. Huge difference, which we could talk about in a little bit, difference in high school and college floors, not just size, but makeup. But anyway, um, we, so we're struggling. I mean, it's – I think Janesville maybe was our third win this year, and they were ranked in top ten. And we go to Upper Iowa, and not only did we beat them, but I think at one point we had them down 15 or 16. Um, one of those um, first 180 teams we had played all year. And all of a sudden, you know, going out of that game, and we didn't say it to our, our kids because we don't want that ego to, to fly up there. But we, as coaches, I remember talking about it after the game, like, whoa, this could be something good, you know. And, 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 and then things started to progress from there. And, and um, I, I, that was probably the turning point of the season for us as coaches. It's amazing. I know you mentioned it, but it's amazing when you play in those competitive conferences and like you guys where you play up. I mean, we we see it out on the western side of the state and even back in my hometown. I mean, St. Ed's uh, has always been playing in a, a 3A conference and then comes 2A tournament time and uh, they're, they're ready to go. And obviously we've seen them down in Des Moines several times. And so that competition uh, makes a big difference. Like you said, those shootouts and being able to get uh, uh, to places in the area and play against other teams has to has to definitely play in, into your advantage, especially when you have the buy-in from those kids. Yeah, it definitely does. And I, I think it's huge. And, again, you, you have to let, um, you know, and I'll talk from the coaching side, you, let, you have to let your ego step back a couple steps because you're going to schedule games. If you want to get to that level, you're going to schedule games against teams that, you know, are very questionable for you to have a chance to win. But getting in there and having to make those adjustments and do special things at tournament time pays off. So let's talk about that. So you guys get down um, to Des Moines, as we mentioned, as the eighth seed and come up against Lake Mills in the first round and had, had a good test there. I have here 49-45 over Lake Mills. What do you remember about that first round game? I'm going to jump back one step, if that's all right with yeah. you. Um, I'm going to go to opening um, first round of the district tournament. Um, so we got, um, believe it or not, we were the fourth seed in our district. Uh, and, and so we're not even supposed – we're supposed to win one district game this year. Uh, we are a half-court shot away from not even going out of the first round of districts. Um, we're playing GR. We're in neutral court, and it's a tight game. Uh, we miss a shot to win with like three or four seconds to go. They get the rebound dribble of a half-court. Kid throws it up. It leaves his hand, and I know it's in. I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, our season's done. Hits the backboard, hits the front of the rim, hits the backboard, kind of circles off the rim, falls out, and we end up winning in overtime. So, yeah, and it was our closest game we had um, the entire tournament trail, first round. So, I mean, we were that close not to even getting out of the district, let alone getting the state tournament. But <clears throat> Lake Mills game, I remember, you know, they, they were a team that really liked up-temple up stuff, you know. And, and so one of our jobs going into that was figuring out how we were going to slow things down, you know. And, and sometimes that's a tough sell, you know. So you're asking your team, you know, in, to say, hey, we're going to take things down a level because we've got to get them uncomfortable. And we did it several times throughout the season, so we had practiced doing it a lot during tournament time, actually. Uh, so what I remember about that was, you know, it, it's a tough thing to say, okay, you got a fast break, yeah, take the fast break, go get that layup. You don't have a fast break, deep breath, get it back outside. And we ran a ton of set plays against them and actually ran some um, four-corner stuff um, where we just spread it out and said, hey, we'll take a layup. Um, sometimes we said no shot um, within the first minute of holding the ball, um, layup only, or then sometimes we'd run and say, okay, if you get a good shot, take a good shot. So to have high school kids able to buy into that is huge, and our kids did a phenomenal job of that, um, especially during tournament time. 
Yeah, you don't obviously don't have well round one. You have a little bit more time to prepare, but uh, then when you have to turn around, um, you, you know, and and play so many different opponents and different styles, and obviously quality teams. If they made it to the point, they're a quality team, and so for you guys to be able to make some adjustments is is a testament to your staff and and your kids as well. But so then round two, uh, Montezuma is who you guys get matched up in the second round. What do you remember about that matchup? Um, Montezuma um, has one of the better players um, that we had to defend all year, um, Trey Shear. Um, and um, I remember having to take him out of the game, you know, and just say, hey, if we're going to get beat, let somebody else beat us. And I don't know if you guys um, had a chance to watch that game, but the announcers kept talking about they're not guarding you. They can't find they, – they're not guarding. This guy's wide open, you know, and we're like, yeah, there's a reason. Um, <laughs> um, but um, Trey, it's, it's kind of a funny story because um, my, my oldest grandson's name is Trey, and a year ago um, after uh, Montezuma got beat, he found Trey Shear sitting in the hallway, had watched him play, sat down beside him and talked to him for 15, 20 minutes – um, after Trey Shear was upset about getting beat, they became friends. Um, and so then all of a sudden we turned around and then the grandpa's got to play against friend, you know. And um, after the game was over, I was sitting with grandson Trey and Trey Shear comes up to us and say, hey, can I sit down with you guys? That tells you what kind of kid that is, you know, to be able to, after getting beat, very disappointed, being able to take a deep breath and then sit down. And, and we had a, you know, a good conversation. Then I got up and let the young guys talk. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember shutting, trying to shut him down. They had a couple other players, too, that you had to very pay attention to because they shot it really well. Um, so if you left them wide open, and we, and we did, um, you know, that was a quick, you know, not a, too quick of a turnaround. Um, we had a couple of days to prepare for it, which was huge, uh, to be able to get that um, mindset in. Um, and, and so we actually went home after our first-round game. Um, we, um, we played in the afternoon on Monday and we got to sleep in our um, own beds Monday night, Tuesday night, went back down to Wednesday and then played that next round. And you talked about it, obviously with Trey and kind of big picture and understanding that, uh, you know, there's bigger things and more to life, uh, sometimes in the game of basketball, but, uh, no, no more example than what then you guys ran into. Uh, and you have to help me a little bit with the timeline, but as far as the championship and COVID, and how all that kind of came together and when and how did you decide or know? Um, was it ever up in the air as far as whether or not the game was even going to be played? And, and what, what do you remember about, okay, now we, we're going into the championship. Um, we got the Bishop Garrigan Bears that we're up against. Are we going to get to play this game? What do you remember about that transition? Well, it's one of the weirder things I've ever been through, obviously. And we've, I bet you, you've heard that maybe a thousand times in the last several months, but we're in the Hall of Pride uh, with our team. We're going through the Hall of Pride, doing a visit and everything else. And all of a sudden, two cheerleaders and um, three or four players come kind of like sprinting after me, holding their phones and like shaking. And I'm like, oh, God, what happened? You know, and I'm not even thinking about, you know, COVID because um, I'll be very honest. When it first hit, I was oblivious to it um, because of everything we had going on. Um, it, and they're showing me their phone, and it was press release before we found out um, that there was only going to be 100 people in attendance. Um, and so, and then, you know, people panicked. I mean, obviously, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to figure this out? And, and so we went back to the motel immediately and game planned out. And, again, I'm going to talk about our community. Um, so we got um, – I know you guys have probably talked to us before – but you got 100 total entries into um, the championship game. And that included your coaches, your players, your managers, um, your team. Um, so you had 100 total and counting everybody that was involved. And then you had to figure out how we were going to fill the rest of those um, positions out. <clears throat> um, you know, so we started the process. We put out a Google Doc, you know, and the coaches working on it together. And we said, okay, um, obviously parents, immediate family members, anybody that lived in the house, that's our first one. So we fill out, okay, where are we at now? Where are we at now? Um, we got all the way to grandparents. Um, and then I remember um, people calling um, either me or assistants and saying, hey, Marty, I know we're on the list, but if – and then they would, you know, mention a family. If I know that they have people that have been at every game this year, we haven't been at every game. We would give our tickets up for them to be able to go to the game. And I heard scenarios of, from other teams of the fights they had, um, trying to figure out the 100. 
and ours was the exact opposite. And again, it speaks so much about our community and, and how much they were thinking about everybody else. And we actually uh, made it a huge point to get our cheerleaders in. I think we were maybe the only, or maybe there was one other team that allowed their cheerleaders. They couldn't be on the floor, but we had them dress and get up in the stands because they're part of our team. They're part of our family, you know, and we thought it was important. They had been at every game this year, super supportive, um, and we made sure we got them in also. And we'll get back to the game and how everything resulted, but sticking with that theme, how do you think that it changed or how would it have been different? I know you said that your the mantra the whole season was we are family, and then you have – this crisis come up and everyone kind of comes together. And now all of a sudden it really does become just family there, state championship. Um, obviously you come home winners. Like I said, we'll talk about that, but how, how do you think maybe that would either changed, helped or would have been different? You know, obviously the community is really close together, but how big was it to really just have family in the stands to win that state championship? Well, it, it, I, I was really worried because we were obviously the first um, state championship game and there was a consolation game before us. Um, that was being played before us. And so we got in there, sat down on the stands, and weirdly quiet. <laughs> I mean, and, and we were talking about it. And I, 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 don't, you've, I don't know if you've ever seen me coach. My voice carries pretty well. Um, and so um, I'm getting coached by my coaches, my um, trainer. Like, now, Marty, when you scream, you know that everybody in this place is going to hear it. It's going to bounce off the walls. And I'm like – yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, so, um, you know, and I, was, I thought this is going to be uncomfortable. I really did. I'll be honest with you. Tip-off happened. Um, we started playing. Um, number one, our fans were incredibly loud somehow. Um, and then I, I, I swear to God, after 30 seconds of the game, I never knew it wasn't a full house. I mean, seriously, until the game was over. You know, I mean, you took that look around again. But during the game itself, it never played a factor in the game. I didn't think at least. Yeah, it was quite the game. And I obviously Adam and a couple other people had, had made comments about uh, this is a different Marty on the sidelines throughout the whole state tournament. I don't know if you just uh, leveled back a little bit or had so much confidence in your kids or not. But uh, uh, that was that was funny to hear some comments with that. But let's talk about uh, that matchup then with the with the Bishop. Garrigan Bears and uh, the Winkle brothers over there. And uh, uh, what do you remember about preparing for those guys and then ultimately that game? And as we mentioned, you guys coming out on top. Um, it, for a, a quick turnaround, um, you know, it, we were used actually the same philosophy we did against um, the other opponents at tournament time. Um, we actually went into practice and, and started working with um, some zone techniques we were talking about maybe we were going to try to use. And we had one day to, you know, that prep in between the um, semis and the finals. So um, we got into DMAC and practice there. <clears throat> and I'll be honest with you, and one of the great things about our kids, again, we're probably 25 minutes into teamwork, 20 minutes into teamwork, and it's not going to work. I mean, the zone that we had put together, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, maybe for a possession or two to screw them up, but we can't run this. And so all of a sudden, we got to take a deep breath so the kids go get a drink and change philosophy. You know, and, and with some, and, you know, some teams, kids would be sitting there going, oh, God, he doesn't know, you know, they're scared. They don't know. And our kids are the opposite. And all of a sudden, when we started doing it, um, it became just natural for them again. You know, and I don't know if you saw that game, but, you know, we used um, Bellis. Um, to guard um, Big Winkle, you know, and um, and and Bellis, and we'll give him five nine, maybe five ten, and um, um, but we used Bellis to just chase him everywhere, you know, and to try to frustrate him, and and he still got his points, obviously, because he's a great player, but um, we, that you talk about a philosophy um, difference that I never would have done years ago to take your point guard and say you're guarding their post player. You know, and your job is not let him touch. Don't care about anything else. Just don't let him touch the ball. And so <clears throat> one of our major goals was to get him frustrated and make sure he didn't get in a good rhythm. Well, yeah, and, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, came out with the win and, you know, just <clears throat> watching that game myself, you know, super happy for you, super happy for everybody that I've come to know in the Wapsie Valley community. Um, that was an awesome, awesome, awesome moment watching. And I know, obviously, for you and the team and, and the community as well. But um, you know, we've talked about some of the players you've coached um, over all these years, but, you know, you've obviously coached a couple of your own kids too. Um, how, how does that, how do you go about that? Um, is it the same as other players? Is it, I mean, a little bit different because they are your kids or how do you 
Um, how do you how do you do that? Um, with the first one, not very well. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, we're playing at um, Sumner, um, and he turns the ball over right before halftime. And I um, talked to him about you got a jump stop pass. <clears throat> Next time down, um, right before the buzzer for halftime, he turns it over again because he doesn't jump stop and pass. Um, I'm chasing him off the court. Um, and as I bust out into the hallway to um, scream in some more, um, I hear a voice behind me. Um, it's my wife, uh, Martha. <laughs> and that night we got a pretty good lecture um, that um, um, we were not bringing this home anymore. It stays at school. It's saying you've got to behave better. My lecture, um, da, 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 da. And, you know, that it, I, I, I got to say it, it's all the kids have gone into coaching. So obviously they like what we were doing and had fun with it. Um, but none of it happens without, without having a supportive family. It really doesn't. I think about way back when I started coaching, basically no film, you know, so you had to go scout games. If we didn't play a Friday night, I was gone scouting, um, scouted a ton of Saturday night games, you know, just to be able to go watch people play <clears throat> and to have a family and then have somebody that has to um, now become the, the parent during that time period. Martha was the, the mainstay of it. And I think that's what chases a bunch of people out of coaching is the inability to, to be able to normalize everything. And you got to have a strong family. And, you know, like I said, they've all gone into coaching. Um, arguably, um, the best coach out of all of us was Brittany. Uh, she was the more, most stable out of all of us. She, um, she still lectures me today. You know, she gave me a great hint a couple of years ago and said, hey, Dad, after a game, two minutes or less. Okay? Because um, it doesn't matter how mad you are or how much you want to freak out on them. She goes, Fix it the next day in practice. You're not going to fix it that night. Say a couple words, tell them when practice is going to be the next day, and get away from them. <laughs> and, and, and I use that now, and it's, it's a great philosophy to have. Um, I'm going to jump into more family. Um, I, I, people ask me all the time, what are you most proud of that's happened um, over the years? And not only coaching my own kids, but the number of former players that have become coaches. You know, and, and, and that's I'm honestly most proud about that. And, you know, we could talk about the state championships, the runner-up, third-place games and or um, finishes. Yeah, those are cool. But to look at people that have played for me and that have gone into the coaching profession, um, I, I take probably most pride in that. Our entire coaching staff at Wapsi, and I think now for the last six or seven years, for sure, maybe longer, all former players, 7-12. You know, and, and number one, I'll, you know, I'll be a little selfish. It's pretty easy. They all know the philosophy of what we're going to do. <laughs> you know, you don't have to teach them. Um, but to think that they want to come back and be part of what's going on here and how cool it is. And, you know, we've got guys, we've talked about Brooks already. Um, we've got guys all the way that are Division One head coaches, um, all the way down through to high school coaches. And one of my jobs in retirement is to put a list together of all the guys that coach. I uh, haven't done it yet, but I want to do that and just – I'm going to put it out there and let people send me information, but um, I'm, I'm just very proud that walking out of our program that they must have had a great feeling about um, basketball and coaching and that kind of stuff to want to get back in the profession. And, you know, we've even got um, a former players um, at Division I um, AD, um, a former manager, a young lady who's at Purdue as an associate AD, you know, so people that have stayed in the profession is very, very cool to see. Well, that's great. Yeah, and I know that. <clears throat> Yeah, obviously knowing a lot of those coaches, you know, Shooty and, you know, Dwayne, um, you know, obviously they, with, with small town nowadays, I feel like, you know, you go to high school in a small town, you move, you move to a bigger town or a bigger city. And so <clears throat> having all those people still back in the Wapsie Valley community, I think speaks to what, what, what you, you have done and uh, the high school and the school in general have done. So that's, that's really cool to hear Marty for sure. Yeah. You know, you know, to have their kids, you know, become part of our program, you know, and, and another thing I need to do is figure out how many second generation, um, you know, there are, and the scariest part of the whole thing, I think I'm up to nine or 10 former students slash players that are grandparents. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, at times, I don't think I should be one. I'm not that old and, and to think I've got, you know, like 10 former players and, and students that are grandparents now. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm That's old. Great. That's great. Well, Hey, we would we would love to see that list too. So when you when you get done with that list, let us let us know. We'll we'll help you get the word out about it too. 
I'll, de- I'll definitely let you guys get involved in it because it'll, it'll be an undertaking to say the least. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, well, so we've, we've had Brooks on um, and obviously uh, me going to school with Brooks and playing with Brooks so long in high school and stuff like that. You know, I know a little bit about your guys' relationship, I guess, but for all of our listeners, we mentioned to him that he had the ultimate green light in high school. Was there ever a shot that he took or maybe multiple shots that he took that you said, Brooks, bad shot, bad shot. You know, I, I used to believe in the, you know, three-point arc was kind of your limit. You know, if you watch games in today's world, it's not anymore. And, and Burks was probably my first player to really stretch it, you know, and get it out there. Um, you know, I'll be very honest with you. Um, we, a philosophy we've always used are good shots and great shots, you know. And, and so we'll, you know, do film sessions with kids and, and just in front of the whole team. That was a good shot. Tell me where the great shot was at. You know, and then, you know, they'll stop and take a look and they're, oh, they'll point to the corner, you know, and say, look, you know, I had somebody flying at me if I would have shot fake kick to the corner. Um, you know, the one thing that, that Brooks probably never got credit for was the number of assists he had in high school also. You know, we had on that team um, two other thousand point scores. Um, so, you know, you, you, everybody always talks about Brooks and all points he scored. You know, you talk about Shooty, he was a thousand point scorer. Hesse ended up being a, a thousand point scorer before he was done. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we obviously talked, you know, when we got back home and said, hey, that shot maybe wasn't where we needed to be. Um, but, you know, he had the ability to create also, you know. And, and again, that's, you know, when I, I'm used to talk about him, um, you know, after he graduated. I said, you know, one thing he never got credit for was the number of assists that he had during the high school career. And that was probably my fault for not putting it out there more when he played. Yeah, I think you're you're exactly right. I mean, just from – obviously playing, playing against Brooks and, you know, being in high school and playing the same time as he did, you know, we, we have, you know, followed some of his, I mean, obviously the, obviously the points he scored, but you're right. I mean, the assists he had, the rebounds he had, he could, he, he pretty much did it all. And, you know, I, I hear all the time, Hey, did you see how, did you see how many shot Brooks, Brooks, Brooks had this game? You know, he shot what it was 22 or 23, 23 from the three point line. And I would always say, yeah, but he made half of those. So isn't that, I mean, isn't, isn't that okay? <laughs> um, however, I mean, we still use that philosophy today. We really do. You know, we'll, we'll have kids, um, you know, that you'll see maybe at halftime we'll have taken a third of our shots. Well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> right, right now he's our best player and we'll get him every shot we can and, and how important that is, you know. Um, and, you know, the, I'll, I'll admit the one selfish um, thing I ever did with Brooks um, when we knew we were going to get beat um, in that state championship game, I was getting ready to sub up. The TV guy um, yells at me, Marty. And I'm like, what is he doing? He goes, get over here. This is during a timeout, and I'm getting ready to sub up. He goes, Brooks needs three points to score 1,000 for the year. And I'm, I had no idea. He goes, you've got to leave him in. He goes, this could be the first ever. So we actually, I, I, during that timeout, I remember talking to the team and said, hey, I'm going to have a selfish moment here. TV guys just told me we ran a play for Brooks to get us, you know, this thousand point, knocked down to three, called timeout, got him out of the game. But yeah, yeah, yeah I it was, yeah, I, I was just like, okay, I'm going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. And obviously, you know, coaching your kids a little bit um, out of the, out of the ordinary. I mean, but um, you know, from all the people I know from the Wapsie Valley community, you know, you've done a great job over, over the years here. And um, you obviously, over a lot of years you know and and having the success you've had almost 600 wins I mean that's that's incredible and you know the changing of philosophies and everything we've really talked about you know it it really goes to show your basketball mind and and you know the the people you have on staff to to help you through that too yeah and and one of the things that I've done again this is a Brittany coach thing um is to get my um assistants more involved um you know and and I was a big proponent multiple years ago of playing everybody in the same night, your freshman, your JV, your varsity. Um, Because, you know, you think about what those assistants' lives were like before then. You know, Monday night JV, Tuesday night varsity, uh, Wednesday night practice, Thursday night JV, Friday night varsity, some Saturdays. You know, you you couldn't keep assistants. I mean, you really couldn't. The retention was so hard and understandable. These are young guys with young families, and they're never home. And so I was one of the big proponents of, of switching schedules and getting everybody to play on the same night. And it's really helped in our retention. And, and um, our coaching staff was, is, um, <clears throat> again, all former players and great people. 
I mean, it's, I'll hand um, the marker over at timeouts now, and and you know, some of the coaches will say, hey, you know, if we do this different, I said, yep, and I'll hand them the the marker and said, take it over. And I'll let them get in that huddle and do that, um, giving them so much more responsibility. And it really helps to buy in, number one, from your assistants, but having a different philosophy because you don't see everything all the time. You know, if you're just sitting there trying to listen when the game's going on and coach, that's very tough to do. You know, so giving them more and more every year, I try to do that. <clears throat> that's, and that's huge, too. Obviously, uh, being a varsity head coach at one time, too, I mean, the assistants and the roles um, and just their part of a successful team and a successful culture, um, not only in your eyes and the program and your assistant's eyes, but in the kids' eyes makes a huge difference. When they know that they're getting the same story or same philosophy or same idea from everybody on the bench, then, well, hey, this must be the path that we're going. And I think going all the way back to what we said in the beginning, it helps with you and it helps create buy-in and um, obviously it doesn't matter the level. The people you have around you is what, what makes you successful. Yeah, and we really work on that in practice also. So, um, I, again, I've gone away from, um, you know, when I first started, I ran every drill, did every, you know, everything um, all the way through. Uh, rarely am I in charge of any drills anymore unless it's something new. Um, that we haven't done, you know, and, and I take that step back. And I read an article, I don't know how many years ago, talked about how many coaches make a mistake by standing in the middle of the gym. <clears throat> and I'm like, well, yeah, you got to stand in the middle. And they said, no, in the article said, you got to stand in the corner. And I'm thinking, okay, why? And then they it went on to explain that you can see everything. If you're in the middle gym, you see half the gym, you know, you don't see everything that's going on. Where if you find a corner, standing in the corner, you can see everything that's going on in the entire gym. I use that too now. You know, and I was like, that's pretty amazing. And it, and it does help, you know. And so you get to watch what every kid's doing. And then if you see something going on on the far side, you go down and talk to them about the drill and go from there. But, yeah, uh, so I, I do a lot, of, um, a lot of the backing off, especially in practice right now, too. Well, sticking with that practice theme, uh, you know, a lot of what we've heard lately is creating chaos in practice <laughs> makes calmness uh, in, in the game. Is that something that you guys try to level up in your practice and try to create and have as much going on as possible so when it comes to a game, then you're, you're ready for any situation? Oh, you know, our practices might be a little different than um, what a lot of people believe in. Um, once our season gets started, um, we're basically 90 minutes. Um, Wednesdays, um, because junior high not practicing after school, we'll do a shooting practice for an hour before we go into our regular practice. Um, but um, early in the year, obviously, we're going a couple hours. Um, but we're basically 90-minute practices. And we will throw them curveballs, yeah. You know, show them something that they weren't expecting, maybe something different. Um, but, you know, I, I've, I've heard the same thing that you're talking about with the chaos and everything else. And we try to give them as many game situations as possible you know, to, to make it feel like that. And, and um, but when we're breaking down our drills, we also try to break them down so that they can individually see, um, you know, what's going on, um, you know, and we even still to the day um, work on post feed stuff when we have a post, you know, so we talk about, okay, the defense is here. And you think about, you know, how many guys are still working that old school stuff where we're like, if the defense is here, you got to go here and, and work and break it down all the way to that point. Um, same thing with screens, you know, like defensive and offensive. We will break down individual screens and on the ball, off the ball. So it may be a little different, maybe a little old school that way. Um, and um, team stuff, um, I think it was John Wooden said that um, if you look at a practice and over your half of your practice is team stuff, you're screwing up. Uh, and so I still to the day will look and count the number of minutes in there, make sure that we're not um, doing team stuff or um, we're not even close to half our practice. Interesting. Yeah. And you got to keep those, those, those youngsters on their toes. That's uh, a lot of it because you really don't know what's going to, what, what's going to happen during the game, obviously. So that, that definitely would, uh, would, would help that during practice too. So, um, well, Hey, at, at the end of our podcast here, Marty, we like to do a little, um, like to do a little portion that we call rapid fire. Brian's going to hit you with a couple questions, some easy, some probably not so easy. And uh, all you got to do is tell us, tell us, tell us what you think right off the top. Okay. All right, first one, uh, pretty standard here for us, but what, uh, what's your favorite visiting? So as the visitor, what's your favorite visiting gym? Obviously, we got to take Wapsie out of that. We, you know, we know you love Wapsie, but uh, what's, the favorite, what's your favorite gym you've coached in that uh, you were the visitor? 
Wow, and, and that's a good one because I have so many favorites, to be honest with you. I know this is rapid fire. I'm supposed to go fast, but uh, <laughs> no, you take your time. Um, I'll be honest with you. One of my favorite gyms I've ever coached is, is um, Clayton Ridge. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have ever been there. There's a balcony behind one of the baskets where people sit up there. Um, I can remember, um, and nothing gets Clayton Ridge, but I can remember um, a couple older ladies um, harassing me throughout the entire game. I'm just riding me. And I remember walking out of the gym after we won, pointing at them and smiling, you know. And uh, so I, I, I really, really like that. And, and um, my, probably my second favorite, um, AP. Um, I love going to Napping Parkersburg, um, and, and you know, and you know, just the whole atmosphere over there and everything else. And and I'll be honest, the reason that I, I like going there, I love coaching against Aaron. Number one, um, but number two, um, how friendly they are. I mean, they are something else. And you know, even though they get you know you get after each other during the game, you know, the amount of respect that they pay not only to me as a coach but to our team is something else. No, that's good. Um, so sticking with that, then what what do you remember? Um, most about Vets Auditorium and, and the time you had to coach there? What was, what's the number one memory um, about that facility? Um, not so much your teams or uh, the games you had there, but what do you remember most about Vets Auditorium? Um, I remember in 86, um, I, I took notes to make sure I could get these dates right. <laughs> um, 86 was our first state tournament um, for myself as a coach. Um, and I can remember being in the tunnel um, walking out and our kids are in front of us and hearing this huge roar go up. Um, and I, and I told my assistants, I said, Oh God, both teams must have ran out at the same time. Um, nope, it was just us. Um, and, um, I think if I, if 68 was the previous time we had been to state. So you think about that now it's 86 and Wapsie Valley gets gone back to the state tournament. And just that atmosphere of walking out. The final of the game wasn't good, um, but, you know, just the, the atmosphere of walking out there, your mouth wide open. You know, and to think about that, I started coaching 83, 84. It's so my third year as a coach. I'm in vets, you know, and I'm like, this is amazing. It, uh, from, a, from a fan, it had to be from a player's perspective. Uh, you know, Wells Fargo is an amazing facility, and everything that comes with it is great. But Vets Auditorium, it's, it's tough to beat that atmosphere. It yeah, didn't... it was amazing how you could hear people in there. I mean, so I, you know, I mean, somebody could stand up and yell, and you could hear them. You know, and, and you know, in the well, that doesn't happen. Um, and, and it was so funny because um, I don't know if you guys were ever in there in the locker rooms. Um, there were some locker rooms that weren't the greatest. <laughs> and I remember the first time we went in, the guy took me to the locker room and, and said, hey, coach, this is one of the better locker rooms we have. And I'm looking around going, really? <laughs> and then we were there, I think, maybe the 89 tournament team. And I got put in one of the locker rooms that wasn't the best. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that, that's one of the reoccurring themes. Whenever we talk about Vets Auditorium, everyone loves it. But the locker rooms always come up. So that, that – uh, <laughs> Probably the reason uh, Wells Fargo was a good change for them. But, yeah, um, it was shocking. The locker rooms were absolutely shocking. <laughs> yeah. um, well, this next one, a little off topic, but with you in retirement, this could change here over the years to come. But uh, currently, what's your favorite golf course? Um, probably Fayette. I got to go there. with Upper Iowa. You know, it's, and I don't know if you guys have ever been there before. It's an 18-hole course. Um, if you're in, ever in Northeast Iowa and you want to, uh, to have some fun on a golf course, it's unbelievable. They, um, uh, when I was in school, they had the front nine only. And then after I left, they built the back nine. And, I mean, it's challenging. It's got some really different types of holes. It's built kind of in the hills. Um, and there's one that you actually um, are teeing off, and you can see kind of down in the Fayette. You're up that high. You know, it's just a really neat golf course and just a ton of fun to play. And, again, good people in Fayette. I mean, they treat you really well. It's relaxed. That's a good one. Um, so if Adam and I make our way up to Wapsie Valley game this winter, we got to grab a bite to eat before the game. Where, where are you sending us? Where's the best place to get something to eat before the game up there uh, in your area? Um, you you got to be really careful with this. There's multiple ones, but um, if you're going to do a sit down, dine in, relax, um, you're probably going to go to Costas and Fairbank. Um, it's, um, it's, it's an unbelievable place. It's actually where – um, they, um, after the state tournament was done, um, we got back in town early enough, they did parades for us. 
Um, and I, I remember, you know, turning yellow and everything else, and we're getting ready to go back to um, across the bridge to go to the bus, get the kids back in. Somebody runs out in the middle of the street, two hands up, stops um, the parade and takes the entire team in the Costas into the restaurant. And it was so full that you, they had people in front pushing people side to side to get the kids in there. Um, I did a quick, quick speech, got them out of Costas <laughs> and um, back to the bus. But um, yeah, I would say that's probably where. That, that's a good one. That, uh, that, that sounds like that would fit the bill for us. Um, okay, a little bit of a hypothetical situation here. And I, I got to add actually one part to this. But uh, so say something comes up and you and your entire staff, and I'm going to throw your family in there as well, are unable to um, make it to one of your games. But I do have the power to assign any coach in the country to come and coach your kids for one night. Um, outside of your staff and your family, who who are you calling on? Who do you trust to to get your kids to the finish line? Well, that's an interesting one. Um, I got. I'll probably go Chris Jans. Um, you know, Jansy's D one coach now, um, and um, he's um, got the personality. Like um, Adam said, I've gotten soft. Um, you didn't say that, Adam, but I know that's what it means. It's, being a grandpa, I think, has caused that. But um, Jancy has the same personality of coaching that I have. Um, and I still remember when Chris played for me, He, um, uh, we had a place, and hopefully Chris doesn't hear this, but we had a place in the locker room, a bench that had um, a kind of like tape on it. And when Chris got excused from practice for his attitude, um, we'd sit him on the bench and then we'd go back and get him and get him back in practice. <laughs> um, but um, I, I, I got to give him um, uh, maybe um, Brent Brozzi. Um, you know, he's down at Cornell um, and women's coach down there. Um, you know, those two guys um, were, were – I give them credit um, for probably the turnaround in the program. Um, along with Kurt Lau, who passed away a, a few years ago, was an assistant coach at Wartburg for a while. But I remember those three guys in our first years of coaching. Um, <clears throat> Mike Dorr, um, like at 9 in the morning on Saturday morning, would knock or the doorbell would ring, and there would be one, two, or three of them um, at my door on Saturday morning saying, hey, coach, is it time to watch film yet? And they would sit there and watch film with me on, on the previous night's game. Um, their junior and senior years – I never did an out-of-bounds play. Um, they did them all because they would come up to me and go, hey, did you see the Iowa game today? And you know, this would be at practice. Did you see the Iowa game on Saturday? They ran that out-of-bounds play. And I'm like, no, I missed that one. And so they would show it to me. And I'm like, hey, don't teach me. Teach your teammates. And so then, you know, our buy-in started way back then, you know. And, and you got kids who are that excited about what's going on. They made the change because you guys all know what happens then. Younger guys take over. You know, so, that, you know, think about grade school kids now watching these guys become, you know, small town heroes. And I, I give them a huge amount of credit for getting things turned around here. That's great. Kurt Lau, yeah, that's a good guy. That, uh, he, I, he coached um, he coached for me uh, when I was at Warburg. So I, that's, oh, okay. Yep, yep. So I, I knew Kurt well. But um, uh, all right, so I got two more here for you. Uh, this one, bringing the family back in. If we, if we bring out John Brooks and Brittany – and little to no warm-up and give them 10 shots at the top of the key, which one of those three is going to make the most? Oh, this is going to get me in trouble, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> um, I, I'm going to say Brooks, you know, because he still brags today that, you know, he can knock him down everywhere. And, um, you know, and, you know, John does have a 13-year-old, so he does a lot of shooting with him, you know. And, and, and so it's not like he doesn't shoot it anymore. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with Brooks just because that would be probably the standard answer of the whole thing. And I probably should say Brittany because that would get the other two boys cranked up hard, but we'll go with Brooks. <laughs> well, when we had Brooks on, what'd he say? He would go seven, seven or eight for 10. Yeah. Adam, what'd he say? Seven or eight. <clears throat> yeah. No. So I actually expected more. So I was <laughs> maybe a little soft too, Marty. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, well, good. All right, last one, and you, you've touched on this this entire interview, and again, we appreciate it, but uh, what if I, if I made you just choose one? I have an idea what you're going to say, but what is your favorite part about being a coach at Wapsie Valley? Um, favorite thing, and like, like you said, I've hit on it probably 10 or 15 times, um, and I'm going to go two ways. Number one, the family atmosphere, um, you know, and, and with all families, there are great times and times that are tough. Um, but, you know, just the, the support that we've had over the years from everybody that's been involved in the program has been um, 
um, awesome. And then the amount of buy-in that we've had um, after kids graduate, you know, to see the number of, of, of players that have gone on to be, go into the basketball coaching profession um, and be able to take great pride in that. So those will probably be, I have to go to, I would say those are my two favorite things. And those are two good ones too, obviously. And I, I like the, I like the part in which that you're tying in as far as instilling the coaching and the love of the game for these kids. I, I think that is huge. I know it's one of the things they talk about on the big level too. It's, it's one of those things that Hayden Fry obviously gets a lot of credit for is, is his coaching tree and the people in which that, um, you know, he's able to create that same passion and love for coaching and, and, and growing athletes and, uh, uh, and so that's definitely a testament and a credit to you and, and then hand in hand in order to be able to get these people and good people in the right spot, you got to have that, that culture and that family. And so, um, coach, Hey, we appreciate you taking the time. We love hearing the story. Uh, some of the tidbits and knowledge that, uh, hopefully our listeners, and I know that we can take, uh, and, and continue to grow. And, um, again, we, we look forward to continuing to watch your path. And as we get close and approach that 600 win plateau here before we know it. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Like I said, I, I you know try to get as many podcasts from yours in, and that you guys you guys do a great job. And I, I just love the laid back side of it, you know, with what you guys do, where it, it's not that heavy heavy pressure and everything else. And I think you know because of you guys' personality, you get some great things out of people, and it's it's fun to do. And I appreciate the chance to um, brag about Wapsie Valley. <laughs> well, we, yeah, as as Brian mentioned, Coach, it's it's been great to reconnect with you. I know I don't see you a whole lot anymore, but um, uh, awesome to to have you here on the podcast. And you know, obviously, we appreciate uh, you and and also all of our listeners. Um, as usual, if you like what you hear here, wherever you find your podcast, give us a five star rating. You can find us on all social media platforms: on Facebook, the Shooters Touch, on Instagram and the Twitter at Shooters Touch IA. And always remember, shooters shoot. Ha, ha, ha.